and told me what to do next. I challenge all of you to find something that scares me. I dare you. Come on. Boils and ghouls, lock your doors and strap yourselves in. From Los Angeles, California, Bloody Disgusting presents the Boo Crew Podcast. Horror news, commentary, reviews, interviews, and more with your hosts, Lauren and Trevor Shand and Leone D'Antonio. I'm Leo. I'm Lauren. I'm Trevor, and we are the Boo Crew. Welcome to episode 158. This time around, we're joined by the incredibly talented Keegan Allen. He's not only a best-selling author and photographer, but he's an amazing actor and musician. He played Toby Cavanaugh in one of the best shows of all time, Pretty Little Liars, and tons of other acclaimed TV and film projects. His latest is a thrilling horror adventure called No Escape. At time of release, it's available in theaters, drive-ins, and VOD this weekend. Hear all about it. His real-life adventures of the paranormal, escape rooms, photography, Hollywood, the possibility of a Pretty Little Liars reboot coming up, maybe? And so much more. Episode 158 starts now. This is Keegan Allen, and you are trying to escape another episode of The Boo Crew. We are taking you to an escape room experience in Moscow. I have a buddy named Alexi. He wants to take us everywhere. I'm talking the best clubs, the best restaurants. This guy's so rich that everything he does is the best. I've been to escape rooms, man. But not one like this. The custom make it just for you. You have to be invited. Remember, as real as everything might seem, you're safe. Sketchy at all. They will begin streaming it directly into your device from the cameras. Let's do it. This is crazy. Hello? Go ahead, scream. That's all we need. Another victim crawls onto the gurney for a Boo Crew autopsy. Joining the Boo Crew via the Speakeasy studio is someone with a true gift for being able to really do it all. Beginning as an actor in short films and TV series like Big Time Rush and CSI, he went on to star in James Franco's Bukowski, Gia Coppola's award-nominated Palo Alto, 2014's The Sound and the Fury, 2016's King Cobra, winner of the California Independent Film Festival, and more. He went on to play Toby Cavanaugh in CW's phenomenally successful and influential Pretty Little Liars, helping it earn 45 awards and countless accolades, roles in Netflix's anthology series What If Zeroville in 2019, and even a spot in Rick and Morty. During all this, he released two best-selling photography books of his own inspired work, which is also an intimate look at the artist himself, 2015's Life, Love, Beauty, and capturing the magic and mystery of Hollywood in 2018 with photos and stories from Foreverland. He created the Foreverland podcast and released his own original music with a track called Million Miles Away. As he does with his visual art, there is something that echoes through all he does. He not only has an eye for the light, but seems to find sure delight in playing in that spot right between that pocket of the light and dark to create something truly original in that space where the two intersect. He stars in the new horror thriller No Escape, a time of release in theaters and VOD this weekend. We are honored to welcome Mr. Keegan Allen. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. That was quite the introduction. Now, thank you. Can I bring you with me everywhere? <laughs> We're down, man. We're down, especially if you're going to Moscow yeah. in some crazy escape room. <laughs> yes. For real. So, dude, again. So, so you guys. 
you guys saw it. I am, I'm so happy that, uh, that you guys saw it. And uh, so I want to know before we even start the interview, what did you think? It was so awesome. It was so fun and exciting. And I was just like, what's going to happen next? Oh, my gosh, what's going to happen next? And it just takes you on these turns that you just don't expect. And it was just awesome. Yeah, it's like a real escape room. You have no idea where it's going to end and where it ends is not what you'd expect at all. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Even even when I first read that script, I remember I came out of a, a long fishing trip in just total tranquility out in the forest and I got the script on my, you know, my, my way back into town. And I remember reading it and my armpits profusely sweating, like a full waterfall of adrenaline, just reading the script. And I, I immediately wanted to do it. I wanted to be a part of it, but I felt like it, it taught, I talked about such a deep, dark shadow of social media and this, you know, I think a dilemma that we all are kind of facing right now as, Social media starts to become way more intertwined with our everyday lives. But, you know, the horror aspect of it, the thrill of it, it really spoke to a very, very specific part of my fear. And I love hearing the reactions that people are getting from it because there's such an amalgamation of people that are saying, oh, you know, I felt like totally scared about this part. While, while other people are like, I can't believe this, you know, that you guys highlighted this. But I love hearing the the reactions from you guys, and thank you for going and seeing it. We want to start off. Are you much of a horror fan yourself? You know, I never have been because I, first of all, live alone in the forest. So that's not a good combination (laughs) of senses to go off. But but I do have a a real reverence for uh, horror and thrilling movies. And especially as I was growing up, one of the scariest movies to me, honestly, and still to this day, I mean, if you, if you put me in the dark and you, you know, just remind me about child's play for some reason, uh, that movie scratches an itch of horror for me where I can watch it and I enjoy it every Halloween, but it still absolutely scares me. It's awesome. It's a classic. (laughs) Is there any horror film or horror film performances that you as an actor tend to keep in the back of your mind when you're doing a film like No Escape or even working on Pretty Little Liars? Is there anything that has become part of your point of reference for your own decisions that you make in genre projects? Yeah. So there was a movie that was really pivotal for me to see quite recently, actually. It was Midsommar. And a lot of people, a lot of people, yeah. You know, it's, it's one of these films that, you don't quite understand why it's terrifying until you really deep get into underneath the skin of that movie and you see why and how beautifully crafted it was. The performances. I mean, I don't think, I mean, she, the way that this, these actors emote throughout the film and the vulnerability the fragility of obviously being on a psilocybin lemon tech crazy trip out session in which you're, you're already in like an extremely fragile state, but then to be in a, you know, that kind of cult setting, it's very much like the, the way that I felt no escape. I'm not trying to compare them, but they're, they're totally apples to oranges, but it's the same fragility of trusting someone that you do not know, allowing yourself to be put into a position or situation and then realizing that the train has gone not only off the tracks, but is no longer even a train. It's like completely 
foreign to your senses and you're out of control. And that is deeply, deeply terrifying. Did you see Hereditary? I did. I thought, I mean, that director is incredible. And also The Witch. The Witch is another great film in which it winds you up. And especially being in the forest alone, not not a great movie to watch. But um, <laughs> but that movie, I mean, great storytelling and winding the audience up into attention with no release. Even at the end, you feel like the, the, the unease is really, really present. Your your unease, the unease of the audience almost feels like a character of itself. I thought it was really interesting how we see two different sides of your character in this as well. There's this social media persona of Cole's, this outgoing social media star. And then there's this real guy who's very pensive, maybe a little guarded almost. How did you go about creating that balance between the two sides of him? Mm. So Will Wernick was, first of all, such an amazing director to work with, but also just a very, very intuitive friend throughout the filming process. He created a character that was super multi-layered because in the original script, there was so much more to Cole Turner's story is that who this, who this guy was growing up, why he started to make videos and, and his proclivity at making videos was so profound. And obviously the movie didn't have enough time to touch on all of the, the, the beginning of it, but, but as an actor, it was a gift to be able to shoot so many scenes behind the scenes and so many um, things for me to step into that character and understand why Cole did what he did, how he was fed from the social media beast, the monster, the fame monster that the, these audience members that he slowly gained over time really highlighted not only his narcissism, but his cupidity and how he sort of digested that over time and created this almost monkey on his back that he was able to show. And we all kind of do that. I mean, in some way, even if you have a hundred, six, six followers, a hundred followers, a thousand followers, or 10 million followers, you're going to show a side of you to your social media most of the time that is not as authentic as your true self. And it's the masks that we put up. So going about and creating this with Will, the director, and him giving me the freedom, and all of us for that matter, the freedom to play in this world and really touch on the fact that the main villain in this is actually just the human nature with something as deviant and sinister and malevolent as AI, as this second person that you are in the algorithmic space of social media. Speaking on that, it's really interesting. It's an interesting dichotomy when you're like, you know, the cameras are watching you and you're acting completely nonchalant and jaded as you're like digging through a corpse, basically, right? To find, to, to find the key. It's amazing, yeah. right? That's an ex- exact example of what you're talking about. Correct. It's, it's almost like everything is, you're numb to it now. I mean, I know from my experience, I'm sure that your viewers, I don't know how much I can share about this without people being, you know, looking it up for themselves. And I strongly suggest that you don't. But there, when I was growing up as a child, I was not part of the age that had iPads or iPhones or any of that stuff. But I was part of this generation that slowly got introduced to the Internet when it was still the wild, wild west. And it's in a way that it never will be again. And meaning that 
I had a friend, I remember the first time we had a, a computer in front of us at a library and he went on rotten.com and it scared me out of my mind to see actual terrifying real life situations like gore situations. But what that did was it desensitized me and even people now today constantly, you know, affected by the world around them, by, by news sources that are extremely graphic. It desensitizes you. And this was a great example in the movie of seeing a, a person that was so desensitized by something so horrific and almost compl- so desensitized and numb by it that it, it was almost a joke. It was part of a game. I mean, it really says a lot of, of where we actually are in our, in our human uh, evolution right now. Yeah, it's, that's probably the most terrifying thing of all. In terms of your character's wild personality, was there anyone in specific that you studied for your character Cole's personality as a social media influencer? I'm going to answer that with a question back to you, and then I'm going to answer it. Is who do you think I was representing? That's a tough one. It's like an amalgamation like, of like so many characters out there. Like a Logan Paul kind of guy or something like that kind of. A lot of people that have seen the movie asked me if I shaped my character around the Paul brothers in any way. And I'll, I'll answer that with, I watched, I, in the moment that I got this character, I wanted to create a, a sort of a big cauldron of not only just, you know, YouTubers and vloggers, but everyone from the gamut of, of gear reviewers, people that are movie reviewers, people that do cooking channels. I, I fell in love with the personality because it's a very specific type of personality, similar to when you see someone that has plastic surgery, they start to look like everybody with plastic surgery. I wanted to kind of create this, this character that really fit. You could put him into anything and it would make sense. And I don't know if I achieved exactly that, but that was what I was going for. And I researched everything from Logan to even George Jenko, who's in the film, is a vlogger by trade. And he's extraordinarily talented. He's high energy, very, very knowledgeable, incredible, impeccable comedy timing. And um, it, it, it was it was quite a gift to have the Internet at my fingertips for this role to be able to source so many different types of personalities and try and create something that was actually, there was no gender to it either. I was taking it from every single realm of the internet and trying to craft it. And I do really appreciate, I, I do appreciate Logan for a lot of reasons that he came and saw the movie and afterwards gave me a hug and was like, Hey man, I, I think I need to reevaluate my life a little bit. I was like, Hey, you know what? I totally understand now that I've been, I've been in that, in that world just for a small amount of time. I mean, it, I'm not trying to, to put, uh, you know, any kind of positionality on these bloggers. Of course they, they do what they do and they are very successful at it for a reason, but it takes a huge amount of your soul away from you. And, um, you know, people only see the glitz and glamor. They don't realize that these people have absolutely given up who they are and I, and not in a bad way or a good way. It's just, they are they are a creation of their environment that they have put forth and that's that's a lot yeah that's a lot of this movie really shows us that too what's interesting is so we trevor and i have four kids and our eight-year-old son recently they had occupation day and literally 
I want to be a YouTube star. I want to be a gamer. I want to be a social influencer. I'm like, what about a doctor? Like, <laughs> it's crazy. None of those things existed. Yeah. Like something. But well, I understand. Crazy. I mean, I understand the appeal, right? Yeah, I totally get it. Because, you know, it's got this vibe of like, oh, you get to be yourself. You get a ton, tons of money. You live in the hype house or whatever else. You know, it's that's very alluring to a kid. You know, if that was around when I was a kid, that's all I would want to do. It's you know? true. Yeah, and it's and you get yourself into a position where, at least from for, from Cole's perspective and from the movie's perspective, is where does it end? Like, how far do you have to go then? Because you, it's just like a drug in some cases. I mean, in this, you saw it. How far can you go? It starts with, oh, you know, the case, the Casey Neistat like lifestyle of like, let me review this, you know, amazing plane ride in a first class suite. Like, then what? Yeah, where do you go from there? You have to keep building and creating a bigger and better uh, experience and content for your audience. And this was one of those examples of, you know, trying to set something up so that he was entertaining and at the expense of himself. And in so many ways, there's so many part, many facets of himself that he sacrificed for content. So as far as preparation goes, did you go to any escape rooms to practice? Yeah, so this is this is crazy. I didn't I had never really known what escape rooms were. I knew about like the horror scare rooms, you know, especially like Knott's Berry Farm and Disneyland and Halloween Horror Nights and all that stuff. But I didn't know that there were technical rooms that were created for groups of friends to uh, essentially escape from. Uh, it sounded very I don't know. It just didn't sound like something that was real to me. And, um, I did know the friends that had done it and it sounded pretty juvenescent and like, um, not something that I would be interested in. And upon doing the movie, uh, after I did the movie, um, a, a buddy of mine, Andrew Batchelor, who is obviously very, very well known through the social media world, took me to one of my first escape rooms after I was done shooting the movie. And I was very, very scared, uh, because I even though, uh, coming out of an experience of shooting that movie and having those kind of stakes, I was very much, uh, I was very on the fence about doing anything. In fact, I, there were many moments where I turned to my friends in the room and I'm like, yeah, I mean, like, uh, if we were, if we were to like need to like call it, like, where do we, and they're like, dude, that's not part of like, you got to figure this out the timer ends. And, I was I was a little nervous. I was actually more nervous, I think, than than I would have been if I would have done them before the movie. Yeah, like yeah. traumatized. I would imagine I would be. I don't know yeah, if I'm yeah, going back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, speaking on that yeah. too, it's really cool how when Cole and his friends enter the escape room, it almost becomes a real time situation. The the clock sets off, and it almost matches exactly with the, the point in the film, and it actually starts coming right. going on in real time, which is a really exciting right. aspect of it. How was it interacting with the puzzles in performance mode? You've got the water tank stunt and all of these things you're interacting with. How was that set up for you guys? Oh, it was incredible. And the sets were so fun because as you've seen in the movie, I mean, they, they, they look like they are built. I mean, that is the purpose of it. They are created for these escape rooms and um, having, you know, Denzel Whitaker is so fun to work with and George and Saya and all of, all of our, uh, and Holland, uh, we just had fun. And what was really wonderful is, is Will and the set designers 
put in just enough of a, a problem in, in the puzzles to make them actually frustrating. And so as, as us, the actors behind the scenes, we were trying to actually solve these puzzles. It was, getting more and more complicated or they would throw one little thing in there to do and it would make the scene very real to us. I mean, we didn't really have to act. We were having so much fun trying to solve these. And then of course the frustration would add that real life realm of, of obviously fear and like what's going to happen, but actually trying to solve these and having a wrench thrown in quite literally sometimes to, make it a little bit harder to solve each time. I think it came through in the film, the fun that we were having until obviously it, it isn't fun. Right, exactly. How did they achieve that illusion of, of Holland in the in the water tank? Oh man, there's no illusion. She is in the water tank and it was crazy. She And she had so much fun. You know, she loves... She loves doing her own stunts. And because of Holland, I really wanted to dip my toe into doing my own stunts. And so I did a couple of days of doing my own stunts. And man, do I have a reverence for stunt coordinators and, and stunt performers. Like, I already really had a huge respect for them before this, working on Pretty Little Liars. And there was tons of times where I would, obviously, like, I would very much be fine with stepping off of a scaffolding and not jumping off but doing my own stunts this time. And I also have another friend of mine, Tom Hopper, who is in umbrella Academy and he does a lot of his own stunts and he makes it seem so easy. And man, was that a crazy experience? So seeing Holland just be totally at peace and at one with the fact that she was being put into a vat of water and possibly drowned she was having a great time and enjoying being in water for three days straight. Will Wernick has like a really cool visual style as well. And being a visual guy yourself, after seeing the completed piece, what do you like about how he told the story visually, like stylistic choices of rolling the camera into that dance club scene or the frenetic cuts to social media clips and things like that? What did you what was your take on how that was that was informed? I was really, really, really happy that Will had a vision for this movie that he absolutely employed with very careful detail. And every single time that he would, um, we would set up a shot, he would show me what he was doing and what, you know, because sometimes these shots would take a day, you know, of, of just setting it up and making it perfect. And he was always so, he wanted the cast collaboration. He want you know, his cinematographer was incredible and super super dark themes are very easy to to ruin and he made it he took extra care not to ruin these very pivotal moments but to rather highlight them through a, so many series of his favorite cinematic tricks and it really has so many classic things in it there's so many nods back and emulations but a lot of it's his unique style and it really comes through. You feel like you're watching a Will Wernick film because there is a lot of stuff that you just haven't seen before. He employs so many new techniques and so many cool things. So that's why I think, um, you know, when people see this, it's such a visually interesting film. The Boo Crew will be right back. The coffin opens and terror reaches out from beyond the grave. As the twins of evil evoke the power of vampirism and witchcraft. 
Twins of evil, they use the satanic power of their bodies to turn men and women into their blood slaves. Twins of evil. Rated R, under 17, not admitted without parents. third act of the movie goes to some pretty dark places and in fact a lot of that stuff is is real and i was curious if there was any research provided to you or did you at all research the dark web for those types of extreme scenarios that we see towards the end of the film yeah i absolutely you know i'm very much a um i'm sometimes a bit of a prisoner to the craft in a way that i i know what i would need to no for something but but it's totally different than actually understanding what that takes and of course with the the scary part of this film and i think a lot of people walk away with it after the the twist of the film the turn of the film and you know the huge you know situation that happens people walk away realizing that they're capable of anything when put into position uh, in, in similar, in a high stakes position like that, people are very much capable of anything. You, you can turn someone into anything. I absolutely did a lot of research. Uh, I don't, wouldn't even call it the dark web. It's extremely accessible. Unfortunately, I know my FBI agent that watches me is not too pleased with some of the things I was searching for when doing this movie. <laughs> but, um, you know, it's, it was it was a necessary piece of research for a, a bunch of this movie for me to look look into not only the psychological side but the you know the real concrete tangible side of of some of these uh, situations and what what shock is what people go through in in moments like this and um it's pretty, it's pretty uh, horrifying, you know, obviously leaves them and, and everybody around them affected for the rest of their lives. And it spills off to other people as well. The ending is yeah. amazing. Now, without giving any spoilers, yeah. was it, was it all shot in sequence? Did you have everything already informing you at that point? Because your performance is incredibly visceral at that point. Yeah. So it was, it was, thank you, man. It was not, um, it was not shot in sequence. We actually, I believe that was like the third day in and we were shooting that, that uh, ending scene. And, um, you know, it's, it was, there was way, there was way more in this movie and maybe one day when the deleted scenes come out, that'll even inform all of this more. But, um, it was really, uh, it was really a challenge. I, I definitely, uh, employed a lot of isolation and, um, putting myself, you know, away from everybody because it, it took a lot of psychological, there's a lot of like apparatuses in the brain. I wanted to try and bring out in that ending that uh, would make it feel exactly as it should be. And um, it was terrifying to go to that place. I mean, I really, <laughs> I really was, uh, I was worried about going there um, and what that would, would look like if it would be too carnal, if it would be too, spooky for people to see it. And I'm really glad that Will was there to, to really navigate that with me and carve out a very substantial reality for me to play in. 
I was wondering if there are any Easter eggs to look out for, say in the chat feed or perhaps in the background throughout the movie. Yeah, so there's a ton of Easter eggs, and I know that Will like very carefully placed them in there. It's definitely rewatchable for that reason. There are, you know, in the chat feed for sure, there are some Easter eggs. I believe like we have, uh, there's a couple of uh, things that I've shot in real life that were put into the, the movie and something really fun I could share with you guys is I actually, before I ever did anything professionally as an actor, I was doing vlogging on my computer over a period of, I would say about a decade. So when you see Cole growing up and, you know, doing these kind of vlogs in front of the camera, that's actually me at 16, 17, 18, 19 years old, uh, in six quick succession growing up in front of the camera. And what's so weird is at the time of doing that, I said to myself, Oh, you know what? I should do this just in case I ever do a movie where I have to show myself growing up. I should just do a vlog every year. <laughs> That's hilarious. And like check in. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So it was perfect. I sent it to Will and he was like, dude, this is perfect. I can't believe that you thought of this. I'm like, I, I, I mean, thank my 16 year old self. So that was a fun Easter egg to put in there. I had read that you were when you were in high school, you guys would go with your friends to abandoned houses and look for ghosts. I don't know if that's true. And if so, did you have any paranormal experiences? I'll just preface this by saying there's no such thing as haunted places, just haunted people. And I realized that I was attracting so many crazy things into my life when I was younger because I was so obsessed, especially because of my friends. And back then there wasn't, you know, the internet to coddle my anxieties. It was like I had to face the world, which nobody does anymore. <laughs> I'm not trying to be like, Oh wow. I really went out there and did something. It was more like we had nothing to do as kids so we, you know, went out to scare ourselves and absolutely went to abandoned hospitals, abandoned mines. Like I said, I live, you know, in the forest. So my friends and I would go to like, you know, these, these old silver mines out in the, in deep in the forest. I mean, it is, it is, I don't care if you're not a scaredy cat at all, it's still haunting and creepy, but, um, very much did that very much. One time I stayed in one of the oldest moated homes in all of England and had a very troubling, <laughs> extremely troubling experience there. And, uh, you know, I, uh, I, there's a lot of people that don't believe in, in ghosts and apparitions and they, they are right for themselves, but there has been a couple of experiences where I cannot explain it. And, and I'm not one to, to point fingers at supernatural things, but uh, there has to be a level of respect, especially in some of these towns. Like there's a ghost town that's very close to where I live and I wouldn't drive through it for all the money in the world, man. At night, it's a no, it's a no, no, but there's been a, a ton of, uh, of, uh, spooky stuff I've done. And, uh, I highly suggest people, you know, stay safe if they do it. And, uh, if I could go back in time, there are some places that I absolutely regret going to. <laughs> I wanted to just briefly ask about, uh, you, you know, your experience creating the, the Hollywood photography book and just about your view on Hollywood in general. I was wondering if you had any favorite places to go in Hollywood and in the city to get inspired. I mean, there's such a visual palette. There's there's an amazing history and many buildings and places in this city. I was wondering if you had any favorites. 
Yeah. So the tapestry of the city has always been so interesting to me. And I grew up in Hollywood and I, I definitely wanted to create that project as a love letter to this city. You know, it's a, it's a city that I've said this many times before, but it bears repeating. It's a city that loves to see itself at its best and at its worst. And to, as a photographer, I felt this very unique sense of, of passion to capture it. And I'm really glad now that I have, because even as a photographer and as a historian and someone that really appreciates the bones of what Hollywood is and, and what it truly became, was and what it became now and what it's continuing to evolve into. I mean, you talk about darkness and ghost stories and, and uh, you know, triumphs and just totally just the craziest things on earth. I wanted to kind of put that all into this love letter to Hollywood, because even at its worst, it's, it's still a, a beatific city of, of dreams and wonder and hope. And, um, you know, creating that and photographing the people within Hollywood that walk, you know, the actual streets. And even now during the times that we're in, it's even more special to look at that book because that is such a bygone era at this point. It does. I, I've walked down the streets in Hollywood recently and it is, it's heartbreaking. Cause I have I, I, I mean, it's almost terrifying to think that we could at one point look back on even that book and be like, wow, I can't believe that people were outside. You know, it, it is, it is, um, it is a, a sealed in time, but I definitely felt this unique responsibility to bring that to people that everybody kind of knows Hollywood and the veneer that it, it, it puts out into the universe and the ether that it, it, it really it, it, people experience through fables and tales so I wanted to, to, to have that, but also my own personal experience growing up there, being a part of that world and a part of that city and uh, what it what it's kind of done to me and what I've taken away from it and what I've stayed away from. And it was really an important passion project for me. You're such a great communicator and podcaster as well. Is that something you want to continue to do? Yeah. So I so that first season of Forever of Foreverland was uh first of all you guys are amazing i'm like i you know you, you know it's a good podcast when you're in it for this long and you don't even realize you've been in it at all <laughs> and um so nice. you know, I, I really i really love i really love podcasts i love listening to them um and you guys are, are just incredible your voices sound so incredible you have to have a voice for it too all of you have a very unique voice and it, it was one of these things where finding what I wanted for Foreverland. It started as obviously, you know, very much how Joe Rogan has kind of started and being like, Hey, you know, I love kicking bags during the day, but also aliens. Um, it started with this thing of, I have a passion for the unexplainable things and the craziness of Hollywood. And I wanted to kind of highlight those, but in my second season and I've been working on it, uh, I'm highlighting uh, the things that I've, you know, that I've upgraded my life. And one of those things is, you know, I was, a, I was very um, hylophobic. I was scared of the dark. I was scared of the forest. I actually had a fear of the dark as, a, as, a, as an adult. And I got over it finally. Um, and it's something that I talk about in each episode is different. So like one is getting over the fear of the dark. One is getting out of my, uh, out of a bad diet and removing sugar from my life and how much that changed my life. There's a, there's a bunch of episodes in which I talk about 
just little things of taking the two year hiatus from Foreverland. So season two is, you know, I have a bunch of people that come on and interview them. I talked to a psychiatrist about, you know, when I was going through my fear of the dark, hypnopompic and hypnagogic hallucinations that are brought on by what could be sleep apnea. But I was assuming that it was, you know, obviously this like apparition in the room. And what's even crazier is clinical psychiatry. And just a little fun side horror note here. Clinical psychiatry absolutely recognizes that a lot of people that have hypnagogic and hypnopompic hallucinations are experiencing apparitional (laughs) duress, which means that there's usually the clinical diagnosis. People will uh, um, agree in a clinical study that a woman is is a, an older woman or some sort of an apparition is in the room holding them down. And I thought that was crazy that science recognizes that. And, and, um, you know, but it also, it made me feel better because I was like, when I went home and the woman was floating in my room, I was like, Hey, science totally. And no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't have, I didn't have a, um, but, but yeah, doing the podcast was extremely cathartic. As you guys probably know, it, it feels great to, to have a connection with an audience and also, you know, be free to discuss things in a forum in which you have so many people listening in. And yeah, it was, it was an amazing experience. And I, I definitely want to continue doing that. Tell us about working on Walker, which is, I guess, the next thing we'll be seeing you. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. I'm very excited. Uh, I obviously extremely respect respect uh, Jared Padalecki so much. And I just found out his wife will actually be playing his wife in the series, which is so great. And also, also really smart during this time to do romantic scenes with someone that you're already quarantined with. I think that's great. But to work with them and and, and, and be part of a show with Anna, Anna Fricky, who's so, so talented uh, as a showrunner. And the fact that um, this show is so fun and we get into shooting and we're, we're all moving to Austin for it. So it's going to be just such a wonderful experience. And I, I cannot wait to bring this character to life. It's, it couldn't, couldn't be further from who I am, but so many of the same passions uh, as me playing a, 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 an intern district attorney. I love watching interrogation videos. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of this guy, but it's called Jim can't swim on YouTube. I highly suggest it. It's like a podcast about interrogation videos and why people do and say the things they do. And these are really famous cases. Some of them uh, span years and years and years, but Jim can swim has been something that really got me into obviously interrogation and the entire side of the law tort and all that way before I ever even knew about this show. So it's, it's been a wonderful help for me kind of getting into this character and um, something that I definitely love sharing with, with everybody because I feel like it's something that people jump right into when they find out about it. That's fascinating. Oh, my God. Yeah, wow. Check that so does it get like into the psychology of interrogation kind of, that kind of idea? Yeah, yeah. And there's actually a great video on the anti-hero, which is uh, a fascinating uh, exploitation of how interrogators really ask the everything that is asked and done is almost like a scene that is predestined and the shifts that they make it's like they're in a in a knife fight with the uh, with the person and everything that's done it's so psychologically subtle to get answers out of people to keep them and what's 
crazy fascinating to me is when people have done horrific things that they do not get an attorney. They talk to the police, they talk to these interrogators and these interrogators are so skilled in the art of manipulation and getting these, these people to, to just say one little thing um, because they get their egos involved or they, uh, they make the person feel like they're comfortable or they give them this, this futility. It is fascinating. So there's a lot of that that I definitely want to bring to my character and, you know, um, kind of craft that world because in the interrogation world and, and that whole behind the scenes of what these interrogators actually go through is in and of, of itself just a completely fascinating realm of human science. I can't wait to check that yeah. out. I have one last question before we go. I know that Pretty Little Liars ended in 2017, and I just read that the Riverdale creator is looking to reboot it and using all new characters and a whole new story. I just wanted to get your thoughts on it or if that would be something that you would want to be involved in. Well, I definitely saw that. I, you know, it's one of these things with now with Walker on the, on the table and there's so many, um, you know, I know that the fans of the original show are very, very serious about it. In fact, what's really funny is I had never really sat down. HBO Max just released Pretty Little Liars with its, its whole catalog of so many shows and things. And along with my deep dive into Studio Ghibli and watching Porco Rosso way too many times, just loving that, that film. Highly suggest that, by the way. That's like one of the most beautiful and incredible characters in film ever. Yes, a pig. It's amazing. Um, but uh, Pretty Little Liars, uh, I sat down and rewatched the series as a, an audience member because it was so far away from anything that I remembered of shooting the show. I was able to actually feel like an audience member for the first time ever. And I have a totally new respect for the show that I... I wasn't able to experience being in it and playing that character and now rewatching it. I do see why, you know, this show will probably continue for however long it will with that formula that is so, uh, it, it really is. It's like all of the perfect formulas of, you know, the, the teen soap, the, the horror aspect, the mystery aspect, the love interests, the, Everything about it was so is so interesting, and it continues to be interesting. I there's no surprise that it is is continuing in whatever universe it continues in. And um, I've been working on music. I have a song coming out called "Time and Lemonade" that I've been working on and working on my music and stuff. So I have no idea what the future holds. I'm uh, obviously very excited to see what the future holds for everybody involved on on all of these projects, making new content. Yeah, I mean, that's all I really know about it. Everybody's been asking me, like, as if, as if I'm, like, because I've been, like, part of it, like, that they give me, like, this, this like, secret underground right. meeting, like, every, like, so, like, so, pretty little liars, let's get Keegan Allen in here. Like, I have no, I, I mean, I'm literally, I'm, I'm more in the dark, I think, than, than anybody. I think you guys actually know more about it than I do. But um, I know, right? Like, there, like there's like a seance and it's like Troy and, Troy and Belisario and, and I, and they're like, you guys sit together because of Spoby. <laughs> no, I, I don't know. I, I'm still, I'm, I, I, I obviously like, I have such a reverence for that show and what it created in the fandom. And I, I still sit and, you know, look at the stars at night and thank my lucky stars that I was even a part of something that just incredible. It was career changing. It, it linked me up to, 
people all over the world. It allowed me to follow my passions, to create so many other endeavors and so many things and, and support so many charities, philanthropic things. And not only that, but connecting me to the entire world. I've traveled the world and met so many people from all walks of life that have enjoyed that, that series. And it's been such a blessing. So obviously very, very excited for whatever is to come, if anything, and for whoever plays my character, please, please just you know, have fun. <laughs> <laughs> that was a Boo Crew podcast, episode 158. Special thanks to our guest, Keegan Allen. Follow him at Key One, that's K-E-E-O-O-N-E on Instagram and at Keegan Allen on Twitter. At time of release, see No Escape in theaters, drive-ins, and VOD now. Production tracks for this episode provided by Power Man 5000. Till next time, it's the Boo Crew saying sweet screams. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Boo Crew Podcast. Haunt the Boo Crew at TalesFromTheBooCrew.com. Tales from the Boo Crew on Facebook and Instagram. Follow us on Twitter at Tales from the Boo. The Boo Crew is Lauren and Trevor Shands and Leone D'Antonio. The Boo Crew is produced by Lauren Shands, chopped and sliced by Trevor Shands. The Boo Crew is a TSP creation, part of the Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network. Bye. A bloody disgusting podcast network, home of the Boo Crew. For horror-centric interviews, SCP archives, weekly full cast storytelling, horror queers, genre commentary from an LGBTQ perspective, and creepy for disturbing and terrifying creepy pastas. Listen free wherever you stream audio and at bloodydisgusting.com slash podcasts.